we're so glad to welcome you, each one of you. And though the building is empty, I want you to know that the promises of God are not empty. They are as full and as alive as they've ever been. And I'm looking forward to just being with you here this morning. Someone was telling me about a church down in Louisiana that uh, the pastor was out on the front porch. They had a PA system, of course, uh, making sure that we have good social distancing. And the people drove into the parking lot and they tuned in their radio to listen to the pastor. <laughs> and then when they thought something was real good, they honked their horn. That was amen. <laughs> and so uh, we are so glad that you're with us here this morning. Thank you. And uh, I just know it's going to be an awesome service. And I, I don't know what uh, uh, holds uh, for the future of our country. If uh, It sounds uh, some pretty dire situation right now, and I hope that this next week it doesn't pan out like they're saying, but I'll tell you one thing, our hearts and our prayers go out for everybody. But uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm loving some of the good news I'm hearing, that maybe we're going to get through this. And uh, from a medical standpoint, that's a, a great word. Well, uh, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and uh, Jesus is alive. Even though it seems like things are dead right now, Jesus is alive. And we want you to know there's no need to fear because Jesus said that. Did you know that over a dozen times in Scripture, in the New Testament, Jesus said, fear not. Don't be fearful. Here he was on a Judean hillside speaking the words, the familiar words that are also echoed in the Sermon on the Mount. This is not the Sermon on the Mount, but it's, uh, he preached this sermon quite a bit, uh, as I understand. From scripture. But in our passage, Luke chapter 12, so you want to take your Bible, open up your iPad or your iPhone, or I think it's on the screen there as well, so just join with us. But in Luke chapter 12, he says in verse 22, take no thought for your life. Then in verse 29, don't be of a doubtful mind. And then the crescendo, and just in case uh, we don't like all those sentences, he just simply simplifies it and says, fear not. And I want you to notice those are three negative declarations, and they could all be summarized with the simple word, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> Imagine Jesus. Now, he's on this Judean hillside, probably spring, because he referred to the flowers, the beautiful flowers, uh, the beautiful uh, Middle Eastern poppies there that uh, were up, uh, called the lilies in the King James. But uh, uh, there he was, uh, probably springtime, maybe it's a fluffy clouds in the sky, blue skies, a typical weather pattern there in the Middle East. And he says, folks, stop it. Stop worrying about what you're going to eat. Stop worrying about what you're going to put on, what the tomorrow holds. Just stop it. And then he gives six reasons why every believer should stop it because of his nature. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And so uh, let's all bow for a word of prayer right where you're at. Let's give honor to the Lord. Let's ask God's blessing. Oh, God, we need you this morning. And God, I need your power. And Lord, in this uh, empty building, nearly empty, Lord, uh, I know that it is filled with the presence of God. And I thank you that every room, and I pray that God, the, the, the Shekinah glory of God would fill every home right now, whether a person is uh, there sitting uh, at their home or maybe sitting there in a car somewhere or out on a porch, but Lord, that your presence would come and that, Father, we would learn as a people and we would remind ourselves to never again worry or fear. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, uh, let's travel back for a couple of weeks here, and let's go over our points. Six certainties about the nature of God. Number one, fear is not grasping God's precedence. What is our highest purpose for living? Our highest purpose for living is not just to survive. Look at verse 23, life is more than the meat, the body more than raiment. Hey, folks, life is more than food and fashion. Number two, fear is not grasping God's presence. There's a God factor in every circumstance. People say, oh, look at the circumstances. You don't get it. This, this, and this. I mean, unless a miracle happens, hey, guess what? Miracles happen. He's the fourth dimension. And that's what it says in verse 24. Consider the ravens. They just know that unless God comes in, it's, I'm going to die. Number three, fear is not grasping God's prerogative as though somehow we're in control. That's way above our pay grade. God's in control. We can't even add one inch, one little second to our life. Verse 25, if, or verse 26, we are not able to do the least. We're not just not able. Nobody is able to really supply for themselves. Verse, and then our fourth point that we looked at last week was fear is not grasping God's preoccupation or His main concern. Now, we know that God's provided us this beautiful flowers and the creation, um, animals that we have. They're such a blessing to us, both for pets and certainly for food and for, to use them for different purposes. But as beautiful as a plant is or an animal is, they do not have an eternal soul. Only man has an eternal soul. And the logic then, and by the way, God gives this wonderful if-then logic in these verses, if, then, by that's so important. That's, a, that's biblical logic. If this is true, and it is, then we can count on this. If God takes care of a flower, if God takes care of a raven, then you can be sure He'll take care of you because you are a never-dying, eternal soul. You are eternal. Did you know that? Your body is that which we look at, but it's you, the soul that just simply has a body, not the body that has a soul. And so God has a preoccupation with the human race. Now, today, let's uh, continue on, and with God's help, we will finish this passage. And then next Sunday, we're going to have a, a wonderful time together uh, as we look at the wonderful resurrection. Number five, our fifth point is fear is not grasping God's presence. Now, we already know that God prefers us because we're human and not a plant or an animal. But in these verses, we're going to find out that He prefers us not only because we're human, but because we're part of His family. Now, He loves everybody, but when you're family, I mean, it's just a, a little bit different there. There's a connection. There's a blood relationship. That's why there's that special affinity. Verse 30, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Are you reading it? Why don't you read it out loud with me now? If you're in a group, read it out loud, all right? Come on, everybody. All right, come on. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father, oh, mark those words. And your Father, oh, listen to those sweet words. And your Father knoweth that you have need of the things. <laughs> so, Verse 31, but rather seek 
ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now Jesus, looking at this group, he's, remember, he talks to the disciples, we are told in verse 21 or 22 there. So he's talking really, focusing on believers, all of those many unbelievers that are listening. There's hundreds, perhaps thousands that are sitting there listening, some standing, some kind of off on the uh, outskirts there, some are right there at the feet of Jesus. But I want you to look into the eyes of Jesus. I want you to look at that face. The Bible says there's no form nor comeliness that we would desire Him, but there's something drawing me to Him. He who spoke as a man that has authority. Now listen to these words. Your Father, He looks at those people, your Father, He looks over here, your Father, what? Your Father knows. Your Father knows. Now, have you ever thought uh, what it would be like to have been born with a silver spoon in your mouth? I mean, imagine for just a moment, I, imagine that I was born into that Walton family, you know, Walmart. Imagine what it must have been like to grow up with everything you could have ever wanted. I didn't have that kind of a privilege. I had a very uh, simple upbringing, and I can remember sitting uh, at the a table and um, wanting more milk, and mom would say, no, just one glass of milk, and uh, then the food would come, and we really, I never felt like we missed any meals, but always knew that just wasn't an unlimited amount. But imagine what it would be like to not have any wants, to have everything you can, I mean, it just seems like such a blessing. But I'll tell you one thing, and I, I guess it could be, the fact is, your father is more uh, has more resources than the Walton family, has more resources than anyone's ever lived, your father. And so he speaks to us here about a divine paternity. And that's actually a great theological fact that our God is our father as well. And now he contrasts the nations of the world. The Greek word there is ethnos. He's not talking about ethnic groups. He's just simply saying the nations, the people. And so he actually divides it into two groups, the people of the world and the people of God. Paul also echoes that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Look at it with us. He says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, there is a characteristic of people in the world. They are dead. They are alive, but they're dead. They're walking dead men, walking dead women. But God's people are walking alive people. Their spirit has been birthed. They are spiritually alive. Now, a lost person or a person of the world, as uh, Jesus called them, they, have, they are dead to anything godly. I mean, they just, they, the only thing they have is the physical world. That's all they have. But a child of God is not like that. He's saying a child of God is different because they have God as their father. Now, I want you to listen to this verse. Look at John 8 and verse 44, and I will tell you something. Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. Here's what he's saying. Now, you're either a child of God or you're not. A child of God or a child of the evil one. Look what he says. Chapter 8, verse 44 of John. You are of your father, the devil. Whoa, that's some straight preaching right there. I can tell you one thing, I, if I was going to preach like that, I'd be glad for a 
for an empty auditorium because I'm afraid of what will be happening after that. But imagine what he says, looking at somebody saying, you are, he's looking at that guy over there, hey, your father is the devil. Your father is the devil. Now, he wasn't being mean. He was just simply saying, it is a fact. You will either have God as your father or it just falls to a fact that the devil is your father. Now, you may not imagine that he's your father, but he said, I'll prove it to you. And look what he says in the last part of that verse. You are your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. You act just like your father. <laughs> he said, you're chasing the dollar. You're chasing lust. You lie. You cheat. You're a violent. You're a hateful person. You are, that's, so I know your father is the devil because you look just like him. You act just like him. Now, the point simply being is this. He's simply saying that there's only two groups, a child of God or a child of that evil one. And yet God is a merciful God. Look what he says in Matthew 5 and verse 44, God maketh his son. By the way, note that part, his son. God owns the sun. God owns uh, moon and he owns Mars. <laughs> I know that when America, you know, put that first flag on the moon, we were like, hey, we own this place now. <laughs> you know, we discovered it. We own the moon. Well, geez, America doesn't own the moon and God owns the moon. He owns the earth and he owns the sun. He maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, sometimes the weatherman will say, oh, the weather has a mind of its own. Well, that's actually true. The next time the weatherman says that, say, preach it. Yes, the weather does have a mind. It's called God's mind. And uh, it is not by chance that we have these weather patterns. It's God. I always uh, need to remind myself sometimes when I'm frustrated at the rain because it messes up what I'm wanting to do, or sometimes when it's so hot, I just need to remind myself, hey, the weather is controlled by God. He is the one. And in this verse, he says he reigns on good people and he reigns on people that aren't good. He reigns on those who are the children of God and he reigns on those who aren't the children of God. So while God by his mercy is a benevolent God, that doesn't mean just because he reigns on the unjust, that's, that's their special favor. That's just, that's just gravy. You know, he, he reigns on the just, the unjust gets some leftovers. That's pretty much what he's saying here. But he's saying with God's people, it is different. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. We as his children have an inheritance in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Now, I've never been privileged really to get an inheritance of any uh, at all, as far as I know. Um, I, and I hope someday that I'll find out that I have a rich uncle, and you know, I, I remember uh, seeing the name Jackson Pollock somewhere, and I thought, man, Jackson Pollock, he must be a relative. Well, then I found out a little bit about that guy, maybe uh, not, but you know what, wouldn't that be great if a rich uncle said, I'm going to give that to you, but as far as I know, I don't have any inheritance coming, and I'm just here, or we're going to make it through this life, but I'll tell you one thing, I've got an inheritance with God. He said, we have an inheritance in the heavenlies. Imagine for a few moments, we all gather, you know, at that um, lawyer's office for the reading of the will. And so the family all gets together and they gather there for the reading of the will. And, you know, you have a son, a daughter, you have grandchildren, typical people, family, related, blood relatives, makes sense. 
then all of a sudden the door opens and in walks this guy. We're like, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, are you uh, part of this family? No. Well, <laughs> um, this is the reading of the will, so I'm sorry you won't be able. Wait, wait a second. I, I want to be in here. Folks, there is no crashing God's inheritance. You've got to be part of the family. You've got to be blood. And if you are blood, God says there's an inheritance. Notice what he says. He promises a duty of care, guarantees. Verse number 30, he said, you don't have to worry about clothing. You don't have to worry about housing. That's what the world seeks. They have to seek it. Now, they don't have to seek it like the actual word means, but because they don't have God, they don't have an inheritance, they don't have that divine paternity, they just get leftovers that God reigns on the just. They're like, man, I got I to gotta fend for myself. Dog eat dog, you know, survival of the fittest. You know, they've even made a doctrine out of it. They've even made a, a whole science out of this survival of the fittest. The fact is, uh, I don't want survival of the fittest. I want the fact that Jesus, who is the fit man, he came and gives me everything. But I want you to look at this verse. It says they seek it. Look at verse 30. The world seeks food. They seek clothing. They seek for housing. The actual word there is zeteo, and it is a word that, uh, uh, or it's a compound word, zeteo, but it actually is the word epizeteo. Zeteo means to, to want something. Epizeteo means to really want something. And so what Jesus is saying is that the world seeks it. Now, we might say, oh, that's nice of them to go out and work hard. No, they seek it. They crave it. They have got to have it. They've got to have food. They've got to have clothing. They've got to have the best houses. They are epizeteo. They are, that's a compound word. It means we're going to seek it regardless, win at the cost. And I will tell you, this world is ruthless. Man, I'm telling you, this political world we live in here in America, it is ruthless. I have never in my life seen such anything like it in all the media. I mean, this is a ruthless world. Well, the fact is, that's because for the most part, they have a zero relationship with God. They don't feel connected to God. And so the full weight of their survival, whether it be financially, whether it be even just physically, it's all on them. It's all us. We've got to do this. No, God takes care of his children. Verse 30, your father knows. Your father knows. He is both a protector and a provider, and he knows. If we might have a good father, and he knows, hallelujah for good fathers, and thank you for being a good father. If you love the Lord and you try to raise your family right, you're a good father, good fathers, that's great. But I'm telling you what, there's something better than even a good father, and that's the Godfather. <laughs> He's the original Godfather, our Savior, our Father God. It says your Father knows that you have need of these things. Now, there are four words in that sentence I want you to get. Notice what it says, your Father. And that's an emphatic announcement. Your Father. Your Father. If you know, maybe... Uh, you moms are here, you might look at your son and say, you just wait till your father gets home, <laughs> your father. <laughs> or your father has provided this for you, your father. It's an emphatic statement, your, let's look at the second word, your father 
knows. This speaks to his omniscience. He knows. He knows. If he knows something, then that means he knows your heart. He knows. He knows. He knows that you're lonely. He knows that you're hurting. He knows that the desires of your heart. He knows. Nobody cares about me. He knows. He does. He knows. He knows it. He doesn't just, it's not just a glancing, you know, thought. He knows exactly what you're feeling. Your Father, Heavenly Father, knows, look at the third word, He knows what you have need of. Now, not greed. Don't write greed in there. Need. Now, many times we're wanting something so bad, but it's not need, it's greed. He knows your need. And yet, He's willing to give you a need like a beautiful clothing like Solomon. He said, even Solomon clothed, and he didn't bag on Solomon for having all those beautiful clothes. He said, you know, the flowers have beautiful clothing, and I'm willing to give it to you. I know your need. Isn't it great to know that sometimes a, that's a need? These beautiful wedding dresses, you know, those lovely brides wear, I mean, costing hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars. It's a need for that moment in a sense. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful luxury that God knows. And he said, he knows your need. But notice what it says finally. He knows your need of things. The day-to-day stuff. And much of my life is spent around things. That's not where my priority is, but it is where my thoughts often go because it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. It's just hard in this old world. But while that's what takes my time, it shouldn't take all my thoughts. And look what he says in verse 31. But rather, and how can I tap into those resources? Verse 31, but rather seek ye. Now, children of the world, epizeteo, they, they really crave things. But verse 31, but rather you do something different. Here he is. He's looking out the crowd. He's saying, over there, Matthew, the world is all about food and fashion and housing, not you. You're about God. Seek God. Over there, Bethany, you're about God. Seek God. Back there, Zacharias, seek God. Let the world go after the food. You go after faith. You spend your time on seeking the kingdom of God. Here is the key that unlocks the pantry of all of God's blessings. Do you want food? Do you want fashion? Do you want housing? Then very counterintuitively, don't make that your focus. What? Now, if this was the Oprah Winfrey show, she would say, just think about it. Think about it and it's yours. Dream about it and it's yours. Hope for it and it's yours. Go to bed thinking about it. Wake up thinking about it. Dream about it and be good and it'll be yours. But I've got a better promise than Oprah Winfrey. I've got a promise from God Himself. God said, don't think about the things of this world and it'll be yours. What? How crazy in this upside-down world of ours. God says, don't think about goods. Think about God. The stuff of this world is a byproduct, not your priority. God said, think about kingdom of God stuff. Make that your focus. Make the kingdom of God your focus. You say, well, 
Okay, pastor, flesh that out for me. Give me, some, give me a handle to hang on to here. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to just walk around, you know, saintly, thinking about God, you know, quoting Bible verses all the time? Well, it's not a bad thing to quote Bible verses for sure. But that's not what the seeking the kingdom of God means. It means that everything I do, I want to have a, a, a God way of doing it, God's way. For example, let's say you're a salesman. Now, if you're a child of the world, then here's the deal. Make a sale. That's it. Make a sale. The boss looks at you and says, make a sale. I don't care what you got to do, make a sale. I mean, make that sale. I'm not going to tell you to break the rules, but if you've got to, break them. Make a sale. That's the world. Here's God. Seek the kingdom of God. Make a sale, but do it God's way. Wake up in the morning and read your Bible, have Bible time with your family, and then pray, oh God, give me a sale today. And then Lord, when you give me that sale, help me to be you. I want to be kind. I want to speak honestly, never being dishonest. I want to have, I want to give a just, uh, be just in all that I do. I want to do it. I want to make a sale your way. I want when the end of this is done, it's a win-win. I want to, I want the kingdom of God to be in the relationship. That's the difference. It's not that you just stop living and then, you know, be a saint. It's meaning that everything I do, I want the kingdom of God there. My finances, kingdom of God. My health, kingdom of God. My business, kingdom of God. It is the dominant enterprise of this world is food, fashion, and future. That's just what they live for. And yet the cornerstone as a believer is to worship God, to enjoy God. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, if you be risen with Christ, and hallelujah, when Christ rose from the dead, I rose with him. <laughs> Whoa, glory, I rose with him. I am risen with Christ. I was in Christ. That's why we get baptized, to show that I was dead in sins, but I rose with Jesus. If ye be risen with Christ, if you are a Christ one, a Christian, seek, there's that word, seek those things which are above. Seek heavenly things. What kind of things does Jesus do in heaven? Well, I'll tell you one thing, he's not worried about food. <laughs> there's praise in heaven, there's prayer in heaven, there's glory in heaven, there's joy in heaven, there's righteousness in heaven. Those are heavenly things. You know, sometimes we think that when, you know, uh, the reason for getting saved is so that we can bring our soul to heaven. I like what the late D.O. Moody, the great evangelist said, yes, it's wonderful when our soul goes to heaven, but even more importantly is when heaven comes to our soul. And that's what living about, living for Christ is having heaven live in me. People see my face, they see heaven. When see, people hear my words, they say, boy, that guy's been hanging around heaven. And it is, we push into God, we, we lean into God, we get everything we can to make sure that we serve God. That's what this verse is talking about. There's a wonderful verse in Luke 16, verse 16. It's a, you may have never really read it before. Look at it. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. 
So uh, God said, now on one hand, Christianity is simple. You get saved. You repent. and it's, uh, God does everything. On the other hand, becoming a kingdom of God person, this person who really serves him, really has a Jesus life, that person presses. There's a pressing. There's a, there's a working about that. There's a everything I can do to serve God. You remember what Jesus said in the parable of the pearl of great price? He said, sell it all. <laughs> sell everything you've got so that you can do what you can to advance the kingdom of God. And that's what leads us right to verse 31 of Luke chapter 12. He said, rather seek the kingdom of God, but rather let the world seek the food. Let the world worry about the fashion. Not that you don't have to have food, not that you don't uh, can't need food or clothing, and it sh- not that it shouldn't look nice, but don't seek it. Don't make it the craving, the desiring. Rather, seek, crave the kingdom of God, and then the things will be added unto you. God says, if you'll do that, you'll be surprised. That kingdom will come into your life. By the way, when we seek the kingdom of God, essentially we're seeking the king. Because there can't be a kingdom without a king, amen? And so I'm seeking the king. I'm getting up in the morning reading my Bible because it's King Jesus I want to talk to. And King Jesus can make a decree. He can give me a good sale and he can make things happen in my life. He can, he can make healing. God can bring things to be because he is king and this is his kingdom. I want to tell you the story here before you go on to the next point of the late John Wanamaker. What an amazing story. In the late, uh, or in the uh, early 19th century, uh, actually late 1800s, but into the 19th century, he opened up a department store in Philadelphia. Within a few years, it became one of the most successful business, if not the most successful department store in America. He is uh, thought to be the, uh, the beginning of uh, marketing. He had two uh, things he kept telling everybody low price, and uh, return any time. <laughs> Almost sounds like Costco. You know, Costco thinks they got it all, low price and a good return policy, John Wanamaker, way back when. But not only was he a great, uh, successful businessman, and by the way, you can go to Philadelphia today, and there's a beautiful uh, building there. I think Macy's is in it there. But uh, he was also the postmaster general of America. When they asked him about his life and uh, he said, you know, I'm glad to be a businessman, glad to work in this position in the government. But he said, those are just things. My real job, the thing that I live for is my Sunday school. He was a superintendent of the large Bethany Presbyterian Church at that time, the largest Sunday school in America. He led hundreds of young people and, and children, thousands actually. He uh, oversaw that whole thing. He said, you know, I live for serving God. All the rest is just things. That's the point. Seek the kingdom of God. Everything else is just things. Make your focus the kingdom of God. And then number six in our message here this morning, fear is not grasping God's premium. It is the nature of God to give and to give and to give. Have you ever heard that statement, membership has its privileges? (laughs) Well, in a way, that's exactly what we're saying. As a believer, we have benefits. Look at what it says in verse 32. Read it together now. Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, 
little flock. Stop it. Stop fearing, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What am I saying? It's His benefit. It's His pleasure. It's, his, uh, it's, the, it's, it's a benefit that God has. Notice what it says. It's His good pleasure. That means God gladly gives it. That's the point. You know, we don't have to twist God's arm. Oh, God, please, I, you know, please give me that. God says, man, I want to give it to you. I mean, it's the desire of God's heart. Now, what is pleasing to God? And that's the point. Because what is pleasing to God then is what He wants to give me. Well, look at chapter, look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. We'll get a little idea here. By the way, notice that verse. Back to verse 32. We'll go to Romans 14 in just a moment. Look what it says. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. He doesn't say, I want to give you something out of the kingdom. I want to give you the kingdom. You say, well, the kingdom, boy, I mean, I get the kingdom. Yes, look what it says, Romans 14, verse 17. Now we get a description of what the kingdom is. Because people are always saying, what's the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of God? Are we talking about the millennial age? Well, yes, that's the kingdom of God. Are we talking about eternity future? Yes, that's the kingdom of God. But there is a now and here sense to the kingdom of God. Look at verse 14, verse 17, or chapter 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God is not me. Although God's not opposed to having us have food or meat, the kingdom of God is not drink. It's not about what we drink. But righteousness and peace and joy and a fellowship with the Holy Ghost. That's when you, that's the kind of things I want to give you. Any and everything that brings about righteousness in your family, it's yours. Any and everything that brings about peace, I'll give it to you. You want peace? That's what I give. That's my business. It's my benefit to those who are part of my family. I give peace. I give this sense of rightness, this sense that everything's in order. And everything that brings joy, it's yours. Why spend our whole life worrying when God has benefits for us? Everybody's all excited right now because this great stimulus package that's, you know, just got passed and I, sounds pretty uh, good for people and all the businesses. I, I don't know who's going to pay for it, you know, in the next generation, but that's another story. But the fact is, folks, I know you're waiting for that stimulus check, but I want to tell you something. There's something better than a stimulus check. You've got the kingdom of God. You've got peace and you've got joy and you've got God the, and the fellowship with the Holy Ghost. We're all so excited about the stimulus check. Man, you ought to get stimulated with the Spirit of God. Let Him come into your family. How does this work? Well, Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, if you're children, then you're heirs. And if you're heirs of God, then you're joint heirs with Christ. God said we inherit everything He inherits. Get that now. Put it in your mind now. Everything He inherits, I inherit. Does He inherit heaven? Yes. Does He inherit peace? He, ha- he is peace. He is love. And so that means I get it. We are appointed It is appointed for us, Luke 22 and verse 29, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as the Father has appointed for me. These are bonuses. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, blessed be the Lord and God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed with all spiritual blessings, spiritual blessings like no fear, 
God says that is part of the kingdom of God that you don't have to fear. Now, folks, there is a normal fear. I'm, I'm, I am afraid of snakes. I do not like snakes. I, they are nasty looking things, and I know people pet them, and some of them have them for pets. I, you know, go for it. You can have all the snakes. I don't like snakes. But, uh, and I, I'm, I'm afraid of them. They're just weird looking things, a little tongue hanging out there, you know. I mean, I don't care. They say, it won't hurt you. Yeah, I know. I, not, nothing ever hurts you. And, uh, but, but on the other hand, when it comes to, you know, whether I'm going to live or die, whether I'm going to get this virus or that virus, I am not going to live my life in fear. I'm just not going to do it. Now, I'll be afraid of a snake, but I'm not going to be afraid of something that's unknown. God said, that's not part of your inheritance. Part of your inheritance is joy and peace and confidence and righteousness and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Enter into your joy, Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 21. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into love. In fact, that was the prayer of Jesus in John 17, verse 23. He said, I want everybody to know that you've sent me and that you love me and that thou hast loved me and to love them. I want them to know the same love that you have for me, you have for them. Get that now. Get that now. Do you ever feel like you're not loved? Well, my wife doesn't love me. My husband doesn't love me. My kids don't love me. My grandkids don't love me. Pretty much nobody loves me. I'm all by myself. Poor me. Nobody loves me. Jesus said, if you'd wake up tomorrow morning and realize that God loves you just like he loves me, I want you to know that. I want you to know that. And that's part of the inheritance. That's part of these Believers' benefits here he's given us. He's telling you, folks, why worry? Why? It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then notice what it says. And thank God for this part of the verse, verse 32. Fear not. Little flock. You'd say, well, pastor, fine. That's all good preaching. You pastors all say the same thing, you know, and you know, you're, you know all about the Bible. And, uh, but that's not me. I mean, I'm, I'm no spiritual giant. Now, wait a second. Look what this verse says, fear not, little flock. He didn't say, fear not, big shepherd, because you're a smart Bible shepherd. You know all the things about the Bible. No, he said, fear not, little flock. Little. You might be the smallest little part of a flock. My wife and I went out for some essential exercise this week and took a short drive and we drove by a beautiful field, and uh, it was gorged off some of those beautiful Oreo cows. You know those Oreo cows, you know, black on either end, white in the middle. Don't you love those things? Why did God make those anyway? They're panda bear cows, but I love them. But also we saw some beautiful uh, sheep out and some little lambs. I guess this is lambing season. I mean, they were no bigger than this, about big as a, a, a little dog, and they just were laying on that grass. And I got to thinking, those little lambs, they have nothing. I mean, if, if a coyote comes, they're gone. I mean, it's going to be lamb soup. They are done because they can't run. They can't, they have no defenses. I mean, it's just a little tiny lamb. Here's God saying, don't worry, little lamb. I got you covered. I got you. I have got you. Don't fear because I am the good shepherd, and I'll 
beat that coyote. I'll, I'll, there's nobody's going to mess with you because I am there for you. Now, people are listening to Jesus. They're saying, boy, that's just amazing. These are, I've never heard such words. This is amazing. I don't have to fear about tomorrow. I mean, nope. I mean, I have a budget. Nope. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about where you're going to stay. God will take care of you. If, ah, what's the catch? What's the catch, Rabbi? What's the catch, Master? No catch, but there is a condition. Verse 33. Sell that you have and give it away. Give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fadeth not, fear, excuse me, faileth not, where neither or no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. You'd say, Pastor, am I getting this right? That sounds pretty hardcore, radical. Take everything I have and sell it and then give it to God, and then I can have peace? And that sounds like some, one of these, you know, crackpot uh, TV folks, you know, that talk about, you know, if you'll send $500, your mom will be healed. You send $1,000 and your brother will be healed. You send uh, $2,000 and your dog will be healed. I mean, no, Jesus said, this is nothing new for Jesus. He also told the rich man the same thing in Matthew chapter 19. He said, you need to you need to sell everything. If you want to get in on this kingdom of God stuff, you need to sell it all and give it. Because there's something about giving that just releases things to God. It's just, I give it. It's yours. It's all yours. The fact is, everything that we have is God's anyway, so it's just releasing it back to Him. You'd say, Pastor, now let me get this straight. I thought salvation was by grace through faith. It is. It is the grace of God. He, unmerited favor, God just pours out His love to you. But it's, it is activated through faith. That's true. That's not the point here. What it's saying is, with repentance, it's always two sides. It is a turning to God, yes, but it's turning from something else. Repentance is not just turning to God. That's shallowness. And it's not just turning from something, that's legalism. It is turning from and to. It is taking Jesus, but it's turning from something. And it doesn't just have to be drugs and bad stuff. It can be money or whatever. It just simply says, look, when you're willing to say, I will press into the kingdom of God no matter what, when you are willing to say, I want Jesus no matter what, then you're ready to have that kingdom peace to have that kingdom joy. Now, most people don't like that because, frankly, that's not easy for the human race. Repentance, humility, yielding, letting go, that's not easy stuff. We'd rather do the shortcut. Okay, so peace comes when I give it to God. That sounds kind of tough. I'll just drink myself into peace. I'll just drink myself into peace. I'll get me some alcohol and, boy, some old Bud Dumber. Oh, excuse me, Bud Weiser. And uh, I'll, I'll just drink me into peace. Guess what? doesn't work. You're not Bud Weiser. You're Bud Dumber for sure. Oh, I'll smoke myself into peace. Go ahead. Pretty soon you won't even have a job. You won't even have any brain cells. Because 
that's shortcut. Other people say, I'll find peace through a relationship. And then that person drops you like a hot potato and goes to the next person. And then you don't have any peace. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll work out and get peace. I'll be a health person. Then your health goes. No peace. Well, I'll, I'll put my peace. I'll, money will be my peace. And then, boom, in one month, your money evaporates. I mean, who would have thought 30 days or 60 days ago we'd be in a situation like we are right now? Whoop, just evaporate. Peace doesn't come from my relationships or what we put into our body. We're always trying to go the shortcut, medicate it. We'll medicate it through porno. We'll medicate it through this. My friends, you will never be able, ever, you will never, ever be able to medicate yourself into peace or to joy or to love. That is the kingdom of God stuff. That's why Jesus says, look what he said, provide for yourself bags which wax not old. Put things in a heavenly purse, a heavenly purse. Put your treasures in heaven. And that's exactly what he says in verse 34. And that's our last verse for today. Wherefore, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And listen to this statement. Hearts always follow the money. Hearts always follow the money. If you're willing to let go of everything in this world, you can have peace. There was a noted concert artist who was asked the secret of his incredible success with the violin. How are you so successful with your violin? Here's what he said, planned neglect. Years ago, he said, I discovered that there are many things that demand my time. I would do my chores and then I would turn to the violin practice, but he said that failed me because it seemed like Chore after chore after chore pretty much got all my attention, and I wasn't able to practice like I wanted to. And then one day I realized I was going to turn that around. I was going to practice the violin, and then later I would get to my chores. That's when I began to be a successful violinist. And so many people today are doing the same thing. They're chore, chores, 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 and if I have time, I'll read my Bible. If I have time, I'll serve God. If I have time, I'll go to church on Sunday. By the way, I think this whole situation we we're under as a nation, it's going to have a whole new sense of us and appreciating our church and appreciating the things of God. Friends, you're here this morning. You're here wherever you are around this world. And are you going to put your faith and trust in Jesus? Are you going to make him the priority of your life? Where is the treasure that you have? Where is it? Is it in Christ or is it in my car? Is it in my house or is it in the holy? Where is that which is the treasure of your heart? It's been a journey over these last three weeks, and I'll tell you what, we're not out of the woods yet as a nation, as a church, but I want, to know, I want you to know this. You don't need to fear because you've got a heavenly Father who loves you, and He says, fear not, fear not, little flock. I'll watch over you when that coyote wants to come in there and that wolf is about ready to eat you up. I'm there. I'm there.